19 minutes it is after 7 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro with myself, Ayabong Atawe. Uh, we start off uh, out uh, in the markets and uh, joining me to take a look at some of the big stories out in capital markets in our political economy. Joined by Snesipo Maninjwa, independent market commentator, analyst and CA. Snesipo, good evening. Welcome. Welcome. Hi, Aya. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good, good in here. I'm fine, man. So I want us to start out in Saudi Arabia, and we'll certainly come back to RCL and the latest coming out of Colgro Group. Uh, but uh, yeah, members of the cabinet uh, were out uh, in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, and uh, we saw some of the coverage of that uh, on many of the SABC's platforms, and uh, a lot said. Um, numerous deals made mention of insofar as what had been signed. Uh, what do you make, I guess, of uh, this bilateral relationship? And more importantly, uh, I guess, the prospects of it being mutually beneficial for both parties. Um, so for us, as um, a, a, key, a key aspect of the um, um, administration has been the galvanizing and um, and a lot of that has been uh, specifically looking to um, infrastructure, and part of the visit was um, to initiate um, some um, was um, was a follow on from the initial investment announced in 2018 uh, in the second economy, um, where Saudi Arabia committed to invest in 10 billion US dollars in the second economy, and that was mainly uh, projects in your renewable energy space uh, through the various. Um, state-owned entities into the African economy. And so this um, so this visit was to sign two more deals and um, it expanded because the common interest usually was for me um, energy and mining, but now it's included industry, tourism, logistics, as well as agriculture. And um, yeah, it, it seems like a very successful visit. Uh, visit. The details I'm, I'm very curious to hear about. Hopefully they're beneficial to our current socioeconomic situation, but um, also part of the reasons why um, Phil has been courting Saudi Arabia specifically is, number one, um, Russia's fallen out of global flavor, number one, and the Chinese economy, if you think about it, has been on a downward revision. Um, India as well has got their own issues. Brazil... Uh, political mess, so and also you factor in the possible impact of grey listing. So you would want inward investment for countries that don't really mind the grey listing situation, the grey listing situation. Mm. So yeah. Uh, now, that's about just the other element, I guess, that I'm quite interested in. I mean, we can't run away from, from the fact that Aramco, um, which is Saudi, one of Saudi Arabia's largest, if not the largest, state-owned company. Um, is one of the largest producers of the black stuff, uh, oil, Brent crude oil, globally. Um, do you get a sense that that would have been part of the discussions? Because certainly in what has been communicated, one doesn't get a sense that uh, that is very much part of the chat. I think it would be. They mentioned energy. So uh, I think where Aramco, I see Aramco, I see them sitting in more from the refining space in terms of... Um, the refineries after that shut down and require urgent investment. So mm. I see them from that perspective. But Aramco's printing 
like they printing uh, crazy money, like they just printing money, like until that. <laughs> it's just it's um it's just printing crazy money and but like I said before, I think for me, um, I'm just worried about the details of these bilateral agreements because when people talk about foreign direct investment, it always goes in the hand of not actual development, but look um, it's another way of you'll find that Saudi Arabian companies will be in the entire value chain. And the multiplier effect that we want from any sort of large investment point actually materialize. So I'm worried about that aspect. I would like for um, I would like for um, more um, even stevens when it comes to both benefits of both countries that are highly doubted. And I guess let's let's stay in Saudi Arabia just for a second, because one of the things that have been spoken about uh, probably a lot less now than a few years ago in South Africa is the introduction of a sovereign wealth fund. And we know that Saudi Arabia has one, the PIF, um, and a very interesting story out in Bloomberg. I mean, uh, I, I seldom see that kind of story where there's a lot of innuendo, very little comment and voice, um, except for people that are a bit tangential to the story. But let's go with it just for a second. A suggestion is being made that some Boston Consulting Group senior partner is effectively the hot honcho strategist in uh, what is probably one of the world's largest sovereign wealth funds uh, linked to a, uh, a massive petrol state uh, in Saudi Arabia. What do you make of that, uh, especially, I guess, in the context of all of the sort of mud that a lot of management consultants have been catching? And uh, we're actually going to be speaking to uh, a company in the world of audit, advisory and uh, assurance and all manner of other things tonight, Deloitte, uh, which has also, I guess, uh, had its own pound of flesh in involvement in the corporate capture of state here in South Africa. Um, so interesting. I'm actually surprised Bloomberg, but I'm Bloomberg talking about this because for me, um, in the last, I think, five years, um, let's just take a step back. Um, fossil fuels, as you know, is not a renewable energy, so there is a timeline towards how long you can continue uh, pumping oil. Up until, I would say, um, 2020, um, the oil price had been largely quite depressed and it had um, 2020 with COVID took it over the edge and you saw a lot of negative at some point you even had a negative um, oil price feature. Mm. Time 2021 we have a recovery 2022 the slow event in Russia just multiplies the price of oil. So against the backdrop of all that uh, volatility a lot of oil-dependent nations have been looking to diversify and diversify, use the wealth that they've gained in oil to diversify into other streams of, of the economy. And um, so that has been a large, um, large, large, large thing. So from 2018, I think what Bloomberg noted was that the consulting market in especially the Gulf has multiplied its fastest logging growing area, the consulting market is growing over 20%. And a lot of it is just um, coming towards what can you do with this pot of cash to um, diversify your income yield. Now, they focus on Boston Consulting Group, um, um, Head Honcho, and they talked about the fees of $1.8 billion. And I was like, for a fund that's worth $680 billion, US dollars, give or take, $1.8 is a mere rounding error in their life. In their, of the woods. 
So the fees just sound astronomical to us, but if you look at in their relation, they're not paying that much. They're not sweating the cash, basically. They're not sweating what they paid. And for them, it's part of an investment into other sectors. So you found that the Saudis have diverted into, um, diversified into soccer, into media, into um, greater financial services. And those are things you need to do because the, what's happening on the ground is eventually going to run out. And you, it, it's eventually is like I think I always say there's a time limit for all of this. So you've got to. I wish us in the land of Africa would have learned this. <laughs> would have learned this, but you have to diversify your build on for future generations. So bringing on consultants for me is not um, unheard of. It's not scandalous. I'm surprised Bloomberg ran with it because for me this should be just common sense and. Like I said, if you look at the fees, in all honesty, it's a mere fraction. What's 1.8 divided by 680 billion US dollars? Sure. It's, Not about, it's even, a mere view, It's a mere... It means when you think about what they're trying to achieve by diversifying and what they're trying to allocate the capital to, they have to think of the future. So uh, bringing on consulting groups to help them think about the future, I think is actually sure, quite... Sure, sure. I think it's actually quite smart. I just think that it's the reason why people view it scandalous is because of the quantum. But when you look at, they're not even spending 1%. That is just how you have to look at it. Not even 1%. It's less than a percent to look at thinking about what we're going to do with all this funding, all this capital that we're sitting on to um, future-proof our country. So Mm. the UAE. Um, United Arab Emirates, um, Abu Dhabi is where the oil is, Dubai is where financial services is, and they've made themselves a financial services hub, both a big tourism business uh, around it. Emirates Airline is one of the most successful airlines in the world. Obviously, again, you bring you have you have to think of how to create another ecosystem to number one employ people. Think of what's going to happen afterwards. So I just think that um, when I read that Bloomberg, it just they started more envious than anything else. But I think it's a good idea to think about the future. Sure, sure. So let's uh, talk about the future. Let's maybe uh, take a quick look now at um, RCL. Now, uh, you know, these are the guys who give us a wide array of brands, you know, Rainbow Chicken, uh, you know, and uh, many other consumer-facing goods, especially the type of food we consume. They got into a deal a few years ago, uh, unwinding another BE deal, and it seems, for all intents and purposes, of course, they might not admit this, but um, very much underwater, and they've now decided to buy back some of the shares that they had loaned to um, the workers and, of course, to black uh, shareholders who are part of a special-purpose vehicle, um, talk to us about the mechanics of this and more importantly, why it just seems like, well, there might not be any money changing hands, but probably a few accounting entries. Um, so there's not really any money changing hands. So um, a few years ago, just under 10 years ago, yeah, eight years ago, um, RCL conducted a BE transactions with an employee trust as well as a few strategic partners. Collectively, they sold about just over 6% of their business to these two vehicles. 
the sale was um, they subscribed at a nominal value, the, and it was funded through a preference share funded by um, RCL. So they did vendor finding on the preference share funded by um, RCL. The idea was that the share price obviously is going to grow at a faster rate than the the debt. And at the end of the transaction, the B fund, um, the B um, entities could uh, look to exit at a profit, at a profit because they'll just pay down the debt. Now, that was the premise of the transaction. Uh, as you know, share prices, these things, it's all about what price you enter and what price you exited. If you look at what the share price was, and I think I was actually taking a look um, at the share price, the share price around um, 2014 when they did the deal was sitting around 15 rand. Now, now um, it's sitting today at about 11 rand. So you already know that you're underwater on a, just a nominal real basis from entry. That's the, in, um, the rollover of debt over a period of time over a period of time. So the idea is the entity is going to be declaring dividends, you pay down the debt, and you, you sort of create a value, you have a value upliftment. Now, the mechanics of the unwind is that it's going to take place via a share buyback of the weighted average, um, uh, volume, volume weighted average share price, and um, they're going to settle the debt because it is ourselves did fund themselves, settle the debt, and um, um, and um, deregister all entities involved, and then they're going to go even Stevens, um, even Stevens, and there's no value creation for the BE shareholders. Now, the cost of this is basically 250 million rand, but it's not really. Um, there is advisory fees, lawyer fees, uh, of course, JSC fees, but from a reality perspective, from a reality perspective. It's it's very much an in and out um, in and out transaction now uh, in and out uh, transaction. So that's basically what they're looking to um, they do. But what lessons, Nesipa? I mean, I think there's a bigger question here. What lessons do we learn? It's not the first deal of this kind that ends up in the red. It's not the first deal of its kind that was funded through these notional vendor financing schemes, where. On the one hand, the company might have benefited from having empowerment credentials, but effectively, you know, with this buyback buy of the shares, um, I'm not sure if there might be some value. I'm not sure how much they were still, you know, needed to pay in the capital amount and so on and all of that. Um, but we've been down this road before. What is it that we learn? Ah, uh, quite simple. <laughs> quite simple. <laughs> is that your share price needs to go higher than your cost of date. I don't think this is a um, innocent. So I don't think there's any lessons learned. I just dislike the fact that people um, say so funny thing, funny, funny, funny thing, jokes like themselves, yes. Um, so funny thing, on the 30th of September, RCL and the date annual BE compliance, and out of the total ownership points, I think I think they got, can you just take that would take, they got 20 out of um, 20 out of the possible 25 points. So they got the points for the transaction. Um, they got the points for the transaction. Um, so they say for, for, for them personally, um, effectively, they have, they have achieved what they wanted to do, which was the BE rating. Um, 
number one, they choose what they wanted to do. But in a sense, for me, the minute you add it to these structures, unless your share price appreciates, you are going to end up exactly where you were from day one. And it's also um, the companies absolve themselves from any of the responsibilities, um, but they absolve themselves from all the responsibilities, but yet they take the benefit. Um, they take the benefit. So uh, it's one of those where no lessons shall be learned. No one's going to apply anything new. They are just going to continue with running with the current state of quo mm. and continue benefiting from... Um, continue benefiting from these sorts of transactions because the nature and the spirit of how these transactions are done is always a tick box exercise and never in the true sense of empowerment or any um, or any sort of um, transformation because God forbid um, God forbid they will actually care about what they're doing. It's for me it it, it literally always um, um it always is being about um what a tick box exercise that they do purely for government business true um like like they just no true like desire to do better desire so to do better. maybe look at the yeah. board of directors i actually had a chance to look at the board of directors so that's just the last one as we wrap up calgro m3 uh they're in the property development space uh, both um residential property developments in some cases, and also what uh, they call memorial parks, but really typically graveyards. Um, just your thoughts uh, on how they've performed. Uh, memorial parks business uh, seeing a slowdown in sales due to lower burial volumes, questions of affordability, and uh, yeah, some shifts in their sales and marketing division. What do you make of uh, the guidance they gave to the market early on today um, as they release their interim numbers? Um, so they, 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 they're going to have to leave it there for tonight. Always a pleasure catching up with you and uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Ninja, independent market commentator, analyst and CA joining us for our wrap of the top business stories.